I'm Bob Shaw. You're listening to Top Shelf Hockey, where we bring you all things hockey all the time. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Top Shelf Hockey. We're very pleased to be joined by my next guest, host of the Scott Rintel Show on Sportsnet Van 650, also a writer with Sportsnet, Scott Rintel himself. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. Hey, no problem, Bab. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. So the first question before we uh, before we get into the, the hockey questions is just how are you doing during this lockdown? Uh, it's obviously a tough time for all of us, uh, you know, especially with you in the sports business, um, just getting content and things like that. Like, how's that going for you? Yeah, that's one side of it for sure. And, and it is more difficult because generally at this time of year, we're reacting to playoff games and trying to figure out how a series sets up or what is happening in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball is on the go as well. So there's nothing to react to, but I've been actually pleasantly surprised with how creative we've been able to be in creating content and finding fun conversations to have on the air. And my producer, Jamie Dodd's done a really good job of that as well. And the collaboration between the two of us, I've been really impressed with. So in some ways, and I know this is going to sound strange because it feels like every day (laughs) is the longest day on earth right now. But in yeah. some ways, the last seven weeks have, have gone by quickly. And I, I woke up the other day and went, man, we've been doing this for seven weeks without sports. And I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how it's gone so far. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm definitely hoping we get to see uh, hockey in, uh, in, the, in the summer. But before I get to your opinion on that, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. And for those of you who, have, who don't know who you are, um, you've had a kind of like, what was your journey into getting onto making it into Sportsnet? With Sportsnet 650, it's been a long one. I've been in the business for almost 20 years now. I went to BCIT way back in the day, graduated in 2002. I actually co-opted out before that and went to Sports Page. For those who remember that program, it was an awesome one, and it was an incredible building to be a part of. Barry McDonald hired me there, and so that's where I got my start. And They just joined forces with Global at the time, so I got to do some weekend news hours. Squire Barnes put me on. And I got to do sports on there as well. And then shortly after that, I got hired at sports in television, actually, and spent my first two and a half years reporting from Sportsnet Pacific. And I was working with guys like Don Taylor and Dan Murphy and Craig McEwen back in the day. And then that first lockout came around. And for some people, you may not remember it, but that was a long time ago in, in 2005. And so they cut down their staff across the country. I was part of that. Three months later, I got hired by what at the time was Team 1040, and they brought me on board to do some Lions coverage and do some updates. And the next thing you know, a year later, I'm doing the morning show with Barry McDonald. I know it's a a long story, but from that, I I bounced around different shows, different time slots after doing the morning show for seven and a half years there. And, And then we ended up with two sports stations in this market, and more than anything, I've got a young family and the time slot worked out really well for me. And it was a point in my life where it was nice to be able to have weekends off with my, my two daughters and my wife. So I took that opportunity and that's where you find me now. That's great. Uh, you know, and they always say, cause I went to BCIT as well, just uh, graduated from their uh, diploma program last year. They always say uh, BCIT people uh, help other BCIT people. So I'm really glad that uh, you're also a BCIT alumnus. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's a big network out there and, I always say to people when they ask me, because the media business right now, it's obviously a little bit murky and people aren't sure what it's going to become. I don't know what it's going to become. But the one thing I'll always say about BCIT is you will find a job coming out of that program. Now, it might not be your dream job right away and it might not be in Vancouver, 
but you will get a job. And part of the reason is because of the reputation that BCIT has established with the, with the training. And there are a lot of people who've come through that program that are program directors who work in different buildings and they will endorse people coming out of that program because they know what the quality is like. Yeah, for sure. And also, you know, I just had to, you mentioned team done 40 and that's kind of where I remember you from. You did, uh, used to cover BC lions on there. Uh, I know you played a little bit of football, so what do you think is going to happen with the CFL? I know they're asking uh, the government right now to bail them out. Uh, do you think the C- CFL is in trouble? I think they're in trouble for this year. I don't envision a world by this time next year where the CFL doesn't exist. And I do think it's going to be really hard for the CFL to play this year because the CFL is a gate-driven league. You need bodies in seats, unlike some of the other leagues, because with all due respect to the contract that the CFL has right now, which, hey, by CFL standards has been a good one, that isn't going to cut it. Just putting players out there, that is not going to take care of enough of the costs for the teams and the salaries that they have. So if they cannot put people in stands this year, the CFL is one of those leagues that I'm not sure it's financially viable this, this particular season. So I do think that it's a, it's a hurdle. I, I'm not sure if they're going to get government money. I don't, I don't foresee them getting $150 million. It feels to me like, hey, ask for the moon, and if you get anything, be happy with it. I think that's the type <laughs> of situation it's gonna, going to be because from everything I understand at this point, the $150 million, that's not money that's going to players. And the CFL does not have a big enough employee base that you would need that money to keep people on board for that time. Look, I'm like anybody else. I want anybody who's impacted by COVID-19 and everything we're going through to get assistance from the government or from their parent company. I don't want people to be out of work. I don't want to see them struggling to make ends meet with their rent and their, and their food and trying to figure out where the next meal is coming from. Exactly. Yeah. That said, $150 million seems on the surface, like an absurd number. And I think as taxpayers in this country, we have every what right. Where's that $150 million coming from? Where, how do you come up with that? As I said, I don't think they'll get that. I think they'll get something. And I do think the league will be here in 2021. Well, that's good to hear for all of us uh, BC Lion fans. We definitely want to see uh, them back on the field pretty soon. Yeah, no question about it. New coach and Mike Riley looking for a bounce back this year. Lots of reason to think that the BC Lions can be a lot better the next time we see them than we did last year. Hopefully. Um, all right, so i got to ask you this because, you know, you're in the business yourself, and so you, I'm hoping you've got uh, – what are the people kind of in the sports world saying about the NHL returning? I mean, we're, we're hearing a lot of different things. Um, some people are saying that it's just not going to happen because of the lockdowns not going to be lifted. Other people are saying it's just um, the NHL has got to do what they got to do. Uh, I think that the NHL will push forward somehow. They've got a committee with the NHLPA. Uh, what 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 have you heard kind of in your world um, in terms of the, the up, latest updates on are people going to return or not? Is NHL going to return or not? Well, I think every discussion you have about this is prefaced with it's kind of up to the health officials and it's up to the governments in our respective countries because they're only going to be able to play if restrictions are lifted and more than 50 people can get together because you need that to have two NHL teams going head to head with the amount of people on the bench and the officials and the support staff, all of those things. So you preface it with that. If the restrictions lift, they are going to find a way to play. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like as far as the regular season coming to an end and what the playoff format is going to be. But if the restrictions lift in time, they'll find a way to play it, whether it's in hub cities, whether simply chartering planes to and from locations and going straight to stadiums and finding different sanitary ways 
to isolate their teams as, as well as possible. But I do think they're going to try to play. I consider myself an optimist. There are people out there who think there's no way it's going to happen because they don't believe the restrictions will be lifted by government officials. But I foresee a world where that happens. If it doesn't, yeah, I could. But I'm an optimist, so I do think they're going to find a way to play. I just don't know what it's going to look like or when that's going to. Yeah, so that's the other question I had about the format. You know, there's there's a lot of rumors out there that they're going to do a 24-team playoff. Now, I think for this year, personally, I'd be happy with the 2014 playoff. Um, I'm pretty sure the Canucks would definitely make it with 24 teams. But going long term, do you think this is just another ploy that the NHL will use to get more teams in the playoffs? No, I don't think they'll use this as a ploy, and it certainly wouldn't be that much. There's been speculation for years about having play-in games or maybe a wild-card round like you see in baseball. And, and NFL football's called it wild-card for a long time, but every game in the NFL is a one game go or go home. I, I can see them trying to get something else in, but I don't think it'll be a result of this. Now, when Seattle gets into the league, which obviously isn't this coming season, whenever it starts, it's the following year, you're going to have 32 teams. Some people will say, hey, 16 get in, that's where it should be. That's half of the league that gets into the postseason. But I do think there are going to be owners, and I do think there are going to be markets that say, look, can we bump that up to 18? Can we bump that up to 20? so that more teams are in this longer. There's additional revenue to be gained. And the one thing we are finding out right now is how much those leagues chase that dollar. So I do foresee yeah. a world where it happens one day, but hockey is slow to change. Hockey is very traditional in the way it goes about its formats. So I think it'll take some time. But yeah, I can see a world where it's an expanded playoff format. I think... Uh... I mean, obviously, from the business side of it, it would be great to see more teams. And uh, at the same time, that you might, you know, lessen the quality of the regular season. So I'm personally torn on that. Well, it really depends what derivative you want to take of that and what angle you want to take. So let's just play the other side that, hey, let's put a few more teams in and have this wild card round where seven plays 10 and eight plays nine. And the two teams that come out of whether it's a one game or three game series, they're left standing and they go into the main draw. So the advantage of being better in the regular season is you get to rest for a week. And the teams that are coming in have had to play more. They're possibly not as healthy. They're more worn down. And so that would be your advantage of finishing, in, in the example I rolled out, one through six. So you can make the argument that in some ways the regular season is actually more valuable because right now, if you win the President's Trophy like Tampa Bay did last year and you lap the field in doing so, you can draw Columbus, and that was a really tough matchup, as we all know. And was there an yep. Bay finishing that high? Doesn't really feel like it. So you can make an argument out of any of these different scenarios. Yeah, for sure. All right, the other big uh, thing I want to get your thoughts on is the draft. Um, there, I think there's like uh, Pierre Lebrun of TSN post put out there that uh, the, they're sending around memos of uh, having a draft in June. Now, there's so do you think that'll happen, first of all? Elliot Friedman's been reporting on this for quite some time, and everything that he has said gets me thinking the league would like to do this. Now, I don't think everybody in the game wants to do it. I think there are a lot of general managers that want to wait, especially because the draft lottery format hasn't been established yet. Is it going to be any different than it was because we haven't finished the regular season and might not finish the regular season? Do they alter it this year? I think the league would love to capitalize the way the NFL draft capitalized. No, those numbers aren't going to be as big as what we saw for the National Football League. But we're all finding out that we're at a time where we are star for sports and people want 
what feels like live programming from sports leagues. I think the league sees that and would like to have that opportunity. The longer this goes, the more I think it's going that way. I was pretty opposed to it at the start, and I still am probably on that side of the fence, but I've wrapped my, my mind around this a little more where I could see it, and I'm, I'm not as opposed to it as I once was. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I think it, it definitely benefits certain teams. For example, uh, Detroit, who just had an awful year this year, uh, they're apparently going to be – obviously, this is all rumors. We don't know if, if it's true, but they're guaranteed either the first or the second pick overall. Ottawa also has a couple of picks in the early uh, in the first round, and they're apparently going to be guaranteed nothing worse than fifth overall. So uh, from a Canucks perspective, what's going to happen with the JT Miller situation? Uh, there's reports that uh, – the league might have to step in there and kind of either either renegotiate that deal, for example, for teams that have conditional first-round picks? I suppose it depends if the two teams can work it out. New Jersey's the team that has that pick now because of the Blake Coleman deal that they made and acquired Vancouver's first-round pick either for this year or for next year. They could work it out themselves. And if I'm the Vancouver Canucks and I have my choice, I would prefer to draft this year. At least that's what I would want to do. I would want to get that prospect in what looks like a fairly deep draft. People have been talking about this draft for the last couple of years. I would want to get that player in my pipeline and say, I believe we've made enough stride this year that we're going to be better next year. But I can see the other argument. And the other argument is just don't have it hanging over you anymore. Let the New Jersey Devils make this pick. Then it's off the books. And you don't have to worry about it going forward. And you know exactly what the certainty is of you having your own picks for next year. If it's me, I take that gamble because I've seen enough progress. And if I'm confident in the plan I'm putting together, I say we're going to be better next year. But I can understand the other part of it, getting it off the books. Just back to what you said a minute ago about Detroit, though, being guaranteed a top two pick. I'd be upset about that if I'm Ottawa. Because Ottawa has the second overall lottery odds. Ottawa also has the third overall lottery odds right now because of the Eric Carlson deal with San Jose. So if you combine the lottery odds of the second and third slot, they actually have a better opportunity to land the top pick than Detroit does right now if you add those cumulative percentages together. So if I'm Ottawa, I want a lottery run. I want to find out if I can land the top pick overall and get Lafreniere. And who knows, maybe I end up at number two as well. But everybody comforts that number one slot. And despite the fact Detroit was by far the worst team in the league, that's why there's a lottery in place. Yeah, I agree with you, especially on the, the Miller deal. I hope uh, the Canucks, if they opted, they would definitely keep this year's pick because I think we'll be a better team next year. Uh, we uh, Before this COVID situation happened, obviously the Canucks were kind of in free fall. They, were, you know, they might not have made the playoffs, but I still think overall, if you look at the team, if they're healthy, they're definitely a, a playoff team. And so I, I agree with you. I would take the gamble and uh, to give away next year's pick if that's the case. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do, determine standings. And I think that's part of the reason they want to play out the regular season. So these teams determine for themselves and they don't have to step in. If we do see a playoff this year and say, well, here's what we're going with. We're either rolling it back in number of games or going with winning percentage or sorry, I guess you didn't play enough games. We're just going to go with the standings as they are, but we'll expand the field. That's part of the reason. The other part of the reason they want to play out the regular season, they've got a lot of regional television deals. And the last thing the NHL wants to be doing, hey, they are losing revenue right now like every other league. The last thing they want to do 
is impact next year's revenue by owing these broadcasting companies something on the books next year. And, and I don't think they would be in a position to be pushing ahead with the regular season if it wasn't for something like that. If they didn't want to say, okay, we want to make sure next year's money kicks in when we're back playing hockey full time. The last thing we want is next year's revenue impacted in addition to this. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know that the, uh, they have a big uh, deal with NBC in the Olympics next year. And that's one of the reasons that they really want to push uh, uh, if they're going to extend the season that they don't run into next year because they need to have that Olympic deal with NBC and they're going to, that's going to have an impact for sure on the NHL schedule. No question about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's the reason they think they can play through this summer if it comes to that is because there's no Olympics and NBC, which has long held the Olympics in the United States. NBC wants programming because they they have a hole in their summer programming as well all of a sudden. All right, now let's talk uh, Canucks specifically. What do you think we should do with three big – I like to call them the three big free agents that we need to deal with. That's Chris Tanev, Markstrom, and Tyler Toffoli. Um, should we, I, I personally think we got to keep Markstrom, but what do you think? Can we get away without having Markstrom or like, what are your thoughts on those three guys? Markstrom's number one. He is the guy you want back of those three because of the importance of the position and because of what he's turned into over the last couple of years. That said, it's not at all costs. And what is the line in the sand that the Vancouver Canucks are not willing to go beyond? What is that number? And what does that term look like? What makes this more interesting is that how are free agents supposed to cash in now whenever this offseason is? There's so much more uncertainty with the salary cap. I think teams are going to try to get shorter-term deals done. And I also think free agents are going to get shorter-term deals right now. There are going to be some guys looking for security. There always are. But let's remember, it was only a couple of months ago the NHL said, we are going to bump up the salary cap for next season. It was going to go up probably three million bucks maybe even more it was going to be between three and up to six and a half seven million dollars increased on this year and if you're a free agent you go perfect um a ufa this summer like jacob march and retired to foley there's more money available to me let's go get that deal that i've been pushing towards this whole time well all of a sudden at best it feels like the cap is going to be flat and i do think the nhl will try everything can to have a flat cap and be it somewhere in and around where it was this year, which is $81.5 million. Well, all of a sudden, there's not more money available. So if you're Jacob Markstrom or you're Tyler Toffoli or Chris Tanna, for example, do you say, all right, before we have a chance to get our books back in order as a league, I'm going to take a short-term deal, be in a good situation so that I'm set to cash in when that money eventually comes through. As I said, some guys are always going to look for security, but I do think it impacts the way free agents have to look at this. And there are certain guys that want to know where they're going to be. It's important to them. And this is why I think they'll eventually get something done with Markstrom. Could they live without him? Yep, sure they could. There are players who've gone to other places, and I'm not going to say that Jacob Markstrom is Sergei Bobrovsky, but how does that work out? It's worked out really well for the Columbus Blue Jackets. They don't pay very much for their goaltending. Yeah. They said, we've got a really good system here. We've identified really good talent. So we're not going to pay $10 million a year. Florida has, and he hasn't delivered. Eventually, I think he'll get his game back on track, and he was starting to play a little bit better. But it certainly hasn't paid off in the short term, and it has paid off big time for Columbus. I don't think that the Canucks will go exactly with that model, but I do think because they have Ian Clark and because Ian Clark to Columbus has been so good at identifying goaltending talent. And he's, he's part of the reason that Columbus has 
that talent and that system. And their GM, Yarmo Kekalainen, has made sure people know that. It's not just what they have there now. It's the fact Ian Clark helped them identify those guys and said, these guys are going to be good if we develop them properly. The fact that the Canucks have Ian Clark, that does give them a little bit of leverage in this situation. I think Markstrom wants to be in Vancouver. I think the Canucks want to have him. I do think they'll find middle ground. I just don't know what it looks like now that we have this pause and the uncertainty after COVID-19. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I'm biased because I'm personally a big fan of Chris Tanev. Um, I know my buddy always jokes uh, he's not as good as you think he is. If we let Chris Tanev go, how do you think that will impact our defense? Just um, who, who can you envision as our starting kind of six defenseman? I know obviously we got Quinn Hughes and Edler and uh, Stetcher, but how do you, would a loss of Chris Tanev be a big impact for the Well, guys? it depends how you replace him, and I'm not trying to dodge the question, but that's always the question, isn't it? Players move on. And you wonder how you're going to get by without them. I mean, a year ago, people wondered, what are they going to do in that top six? And all of a sudden, they make a deal for JT Miller. And did he have a great year leading scorer on the team? Yeah, I can see Chris Tanev moving on. I do think he's better than some people give him credit for. And I think that he has been instrumental in having, having Quinn Hughes explode onto the scene as a rookie because of the amount of trust that the two of them have in each other and the fact that he's more of a defensive defenseman has allowed Quinn Hughes to do everything that he does and be as creative as he as he can. But there's ways to replace Chris Tanev. There's ways to get other defensive defensemen at a lower cost in here. Again, how does Chris Tanev view free agency? Does he think he can cash in now? Or does he think he needs to take a short-term deal with what is an up-and-coming team to improve his stock once that money comes back into the system and he's able to get a better deal? I have no idea. I can't answer that question. But... Yeah, there's a world where they can replace him. All right. Those are kind of all the big questions I have. I got some uh, time for some Twitter sure. questions. So uh, some of these are short. Some of these are kind of more uh, detailed. So let's start off with some quicker ones first. Uh, who's your favorite current Canuck and favorite My Canucks favorite current Canuck. I'm not sure I have a favorite current Canuck, but I can tell you this past season, the guy I liked watched the most was JT Miller. I loved everything he brought to the table. I think if I was pressed, I'd be like anybody else, and I'd say, hey, moving forward, it's either Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes. But the guy I enjoyed watching this past season the most was for sure JT Miller, and that's not to disparage anything that EP40 did or Quinn Hughes because, man, I'm, I can't remember anything close to Quinn Hughes in a Vancouver uniform because there really hasn't been one on the back end. I think he's the default answer, but JT Miller for me was just so impressive night in, night out this year. And what was the other one? Favorite sweater? Uh, favorite. Okay. Jersey, so yeah. this is going to sound like a cop out, but I think my favorite sweater is still the black skate. I think that's their best Jersey. However, I think they're doing the right thing. I like the color scheme that they have now for most games and actually introducing the black skate six to eight times a year or however often they're going to use it moving forward. I think it, it makes you appreciate it more and it gets better pop when it's on there. I think you would lose appreciation for it if it was game in game out. So I don't think they should make the switch full time, but it's so great when it pops and you have those six, to eight nights and it's just one more thing for Canucks fans to look forward to. Yeah. It's an interesting way of putting it. Cause uh, you know, you look on Twitter and you ask everyone, you know, they definitely want to replace the current scheme. But uh, I agree with you. I think it would um, definitely, because of the, it, you know, it, it gives them something to market. You know, obviously, like, 
you're looking forward to the game when they're wearing those black skate jerseys. Uh, although I would love to see them also bring back the uh, the home 90s jerseys, the white skate jersey, because I think that one looks even nicer. Um, but uh, well, yeah, so here's the interesting part of it. And again, I'm the wrong guy to answer this question, because I do think that you fall in love for the most part with the jersey you grow up with. So the, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so the team colors and, and color schemes and jerseys from that time, those are always the ones that I'll probably go back to because I grew up with them. And those are your formative years of becoming a fan. So I do wonder for people who are 21 or 25 years old and all they've really ever grown up with is the whale sea stylized on the front of the jersey. Is that what they most closely associate with the Canucks? And is, is that their fallback? I don't know the answer to that question, but brighter minds than I have probably done some studies on it and there's a reason they're keeping it. Yeah, for sure. Now you kind of touched on this a little bit when we were talking about the, the draft earlier. But um, because of the lost NHL revenue, do you think the fans are going to see higher ticket prices or do you think Canucks ownership is pretty steady and just kind of the, the business side of hockey in Vancouver? Kind of I don't know if they're going that? to raise ticket prices. In fact, I can't imagine they're going to. That would be a PR disaster. There are so many people losing money in our economy right now and there's people who are out of work and trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet in the short term, they're not going to have a lot of disposable income. It's going to take them a while to get it back. Will they lower ticket prices to me is a better question. I'm not sure. Sports teams are loath to do that. And it may depend on what type of renewal rates the Canucks are getting. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the Canucks are up and coming. And most people, when they see a team in the window, the Canucks find themselves, which is starting to be a contender for playoffs and, you start projecting down the road in a couple of years, three, four years, are you a Stanley Cup contender? When people see that coming with sports teams, that's when they want to get in. They think, oh, the ground floor, I got to get my seats now because I won't be able to get them a few years down the road. And yet we're going through this economic crisis right now. I can't envision a world where a pro sports team right now actually tries to raise ticket prices. I think it would be completely tone deaf. The bigger question to me is whether or not they lower ticket prices. And, and I don't have the answer to that because sports teams in general, they do everything they can to stay away from it. I would love to see it. I would love it for the fans because of everything I just mentioned. And because so many people get financially in this, that it was easier to get people in the building if they're comfortable enough to go. And I think that's a conversation that we're going to continue to talk about for a long time. If I told you next week, the Canucks are back, and the buildings are open. Would you be comfortable going in there with 10,000, 15,000, 18,000 people? I don't think a lot of people would. I think a lot of people would say, no, I'm going to wait. I don't feel comfortable with this right now. So a lot of this is going to depend on society's view on getting together once restrictions are eventually lifted. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, this question is a little bit kind of another objective one, but who do you think is more important to the Canucks going forward? Quinn Hughes. I or like that you give me questions. There's no wrong answer to <laughs> seriously. Like I can argue either side of this because the Canucks have never had anything like Quinn Hughes on the back end. And rule of thumb is, Hey, when you get a true number one defenseman, you don't ever part with it. It's the hardest thing to find in hockey. And yet do you win without number one centers and, and guys who are capable of what Elias Pettersson is capable of? No, you don't. So I can argue this either way. Let's argue Elias Pettersson today. I like Elias Pettersson, so I'll say Elias Pettersson is more important for them going forward because of what he's going to be able to do both ways because he can be a 100-point player, which the Canucks have not had a lot of, what, 
three guys have hit 100 point totals in in their careers, maybe four as Vancouver Canucks. The Sedins, Marcus Naslin got there, and this is a center who is capable of putting up three digits. He is capable of of winning a Hart Trophy one day. So I'll argue Elias Pettersson today, but you call me tomorrow, I can easily argue Quinn Hughes as well. I I, I would agree that Elias Pettersson, I think, is definitely more important, but Quinn Hughes is my favorite Canuck to watch right now. So uh, I, I definitely can't, yeah, can't answer As I that said, question. there's no wrong answer to that question. They are both so good, and they're both so young. If there were a bigger disparity in ages, maybe you would have an easier way to argue this, but... I'll tell you, Canucks fans not only should be thrilled with what they saw this year, but the fact that those two guys room together, they're really good friends. They seem to be driven in the same manner as well. There is absolutely nothing to suggest that both of them aren't going to be really, really good for a really long time. Yeah, for sure. All right, last question. This is kind of a fun one. Your Twitter bio mentions occasional actor. Uh, yeah, it's good. Kind of I mean, around doing? my house, I'm doing lots of different kinds because my daughters are into different things. So <laughs> I get I get put into different scenarios all the time, whether they're on a Frozen kick that day or Trolls was a movie they saw recently. So they might want me to play a part in that. So who knows from day to day? But yeah, it's funny. I still have that in my bio. I did do some acting a few years ago. I really enjoyed it growing up and probably like a bunch of people out there. I was in high school plays and and took theater actually at one point in university. And I did a little bit of acting when I was younger and didn't have two kids to take care of. I don't really have the time for it right now, but it's something that I really enjoy. You know, I've been in the odd television show with a very small part here or there and not anything that was recurring, but I made my way into a couple of different things and had fun with it. Absolutely love doing it, but just haven't had the time to do it for a little while because I'm playing dad most days. Well, I guess that's a role in yeah, itself, no. so uh, you're still acting. You're right, and uh, I think I've convinced them so far that I play the role of best dad ever, so hopefully that continues for a while. <laughs> All right, Scott, thanks so much for being here. I can't believe uh, we're basically out of time. Uh, thank you so much for being for agreeing to come on. Uh, I know you're definitely busy, and so... No problem, really Bab. Thanks for having on. me, man, and all the best with your podcast moving forward, and and good for you for pursuing something that not everybody has the stones to go out and get for themselves. So good on you, man. And I hope all the best for you and your family and anybody listening to this podcast. And the last thing I'll say is just remember, man, you're not in this alone, whoever you are out there. If you're having a tough day, if you feel like you're isolated, reach out. You and I didn't know each other. You reached out to me on Twitter and my DMS are open for anybody. You can find me at Scott Rintoul. I'm happy to have a conversation. I'm a person just like you. And if you need somebody to talk to, find me if you need to. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Scott. No problem. And for also this interview. All right. Take care. Thanks, Bab. Thank you for watching Top Shelf Hockey. Top Shelf Hockey is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are available.